Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hi, welcome back. Today I'm going to be talking about chapter four in Women Who Run With The Wolves. It's called The Mate, Union With The Other. This is a shorter chapter than the last couple, so if you're wanting to jump in somewhere and you feel overwhelmed, this might be a good place to start, and especially if you're interested in dating and relationships, or even just what's going on inside the psyche between the masculine and feminine energies. The story that she shares in this chapter is the story of Manawi. Manawi is a man that's interested in these two twins. The twins are very beautiful, and one of them is more pretty and one of them is more smart and the man wants to marry them both. He goes to the father of the twins and asks for their hand in marriage and the father responds that he must guess the names of the twins before he can marry them. So he tries to guess the names and he can't figure them out. So the father sends him away. Now this man, Manawi, has a little dog and the little dog is able to run back to the village listen next to the hut that the two women live in and listen for their names and the little dog is able to hear them call each other by their names. So he has the information that Manawi needs. So he excitedly starts to run back to his master and on the way back he sees a bone and he gets really distracted chewing on this bone and then he forgets the names. So he runs back and he tries to get the names again and Excitedly, he has them and he tries to head back to his master and again he gets distracted. And this happens three times and the third time um, a stranger jumps out and grabs the dog and yells at him, tell me the names, tell me the names, and the dog refuses and the dog bites the stranger and the dog gets away and remembers the names and is able to tell Manawi the names. And ultimately Manawi goes to the father he tells him the names of the two women and he's able to marry them. So that's a really basic version of a pretty simple story uh, that represents a few different things that could be happening. The way it's explained and the way I understand it is that there's either two things going on. Either all of these characters are within one woman's psyche or you could interpret this story as a man with his dog and the two women representing just two aspects of one woman. And really this chapter is about the duality that women possess. According to the writer, women have a dual nature. And to access her full intuitive powers, she must develop and integrate both sides of that nature. So the twins represent actually two aspects in one person. 
the man, in the other hand, also has sort of a dual nature. He has Manoe, the man, and then the dog represents his instinctual nature. So the dog is his instinctual nature curiously looking for the names of these women, the names of the dual nature. This tale describes the mission for the man in the story, which is to really understand the dual nature of women and to really understand what women want, what they really truly desire. The writer then describes the two sides of a woman, the dual nature, and she describes one as being the outer being, the one that lives in the topside world by the day of light, easily observed, pragmatic, accultured, and very human. She is happy and elastic, sunny, lingering, and rich. The other aspect of the feminine nature she calls the creatura, the inner creature. She lives in the world not so easily seeable. She travels from far away, appearing and quickly disappearing, leaving behind a feeling, something surprising, original, knowing. This side of the female nature is longing for I know not what. She is bittersweet. She is wistful. So the dual natures represent sort of an inner and outer, an ego and spirit. I see it as sort of the outer presentation and maybe the more private aspects of the woman's psyche. Interestingly, the tale is written almost as a guide for men, for men that are seeking to understand women, who are seeking to be with a woman that has this dual nature. The advice to these men is to have a Manoe-like attitude which finds and claims woman's duality, finding it valuable, courtable, and desirable instead of devilish, ugly, or to be disdained. She quickly brings up a character from a previous story, Bluebeard, and how a Bluebeard-like man, in contrast to Manoe, is really looking for perfection, is looking for a woman who will follow the rules and be consistent and be predictable and be unchangeable, Whereas the Manoe type man is looking for a woman who has that dual nature, who is sometimes surprising and inconsistent, but in a beautiful way. The Manoe type man allows duality, contradiction, complexity, and nuance. And she suggests to women, if you find a bluebeard type man who is looking for perfection, run the other way. A few of the other symbols addressed in this chapter are the symbol of the twins and how valuable a set of twins would be to a community. They are seen as having magical powers and they are treated as such. She also brings up the power of naming things. The whole point of the story is that Manoe has to name these two aspects of the woman's psyche, it has to name the twins. And it doesn't even ever tell you the names in the story. but. The important part is that naming something has its own symbolic meaning and naming something means you are curious about it, that you are honoring it, that you're acknowledging it. So naming the two aspects or the dual nature is really the important aspect here. I'm going to read a little passage about the interior woman. Sometimes women become tired and cranky while waiting for their mates to understand them. The women say, why can't they just know what I think, what I want? Women become fatigued with asking this question, yet there is a solution to this dilemma, a solution which is efficient and effective. If a woman wants a mate who is responsive in this way, she will reveal to him the secret of women's duality. She will tell him about the interior woman, that one who added to herself makes two. She does this by teaching her mate to ask her two deceptively simple questions that will cause her to feel seen, heard, and known. The first question is, what do you want? 
Almost everyone asks some version of this, just as a matter of course. But there is yet one more essential question, and that is, what does your deeper self desire? And really what she's pointing at here is that curious nature, that willingness to learn, that willingness to grow. And another quote that really spoke to me, if there is but one force which feeds the root of pain, it is the refusal to learn beyond this moment. So I think what she's really speaking to is the inquisitive, curious nature of learning about one another in relationship. But also, I really did see this story as all aspects of just one person's psyche. And when I was reading it, I was really feeling into my masculine aspects and my feminine aspects and wondering, does my inner masculine have that curiosity about my feminine duality? Is my inner masculine accepting and open to the contradictory nature that exists within me? And that brought up a lot for me because I feel that, I don't know if it's the culture we live in or if it's just the way my life has gone, but it feels like the masculine aspects of my psyche have a harder time holding the contradiction and holding the unpredictability of that interior woman aspect. I think I often will prop up the more outside world woman, the one that's accultured and human and gets along really well with everyone. And on the flip side, it's been challenging for me to allow space for the more sensitive or more introverted aspects of my personality to exist and to be accepted and to be seen as valuable. Of course, that shows up in my life as well. If I'm treating myself that way, then I think energetically other people will be treating me that way too. So it's been my life's work to really untangle all of that and think about how I can honor the duality in me and not be afraid of it and not be ashamed of it and notice that the culture as a whole and some would call it the patriarchy but it's it has a little bit more emphasis and there's more reward associated with masculine traits like structure and like consistency and predictability and just getting along and duality and contradiction and unpredictability I feel is more of a feminine energy and that isn't as encouraged in this culture and it's seen as an inherently bad thing to be inconsistent or to change your mind or to be moody or to have conflicting opinions going on with inside of you and this has been a really hard thing for me. I've always attributed it to being a Gemini but I think what this chapter is telling me is that this is a common experience for probably all women and probably all people is just to have conflicting opinions within yourself and conflicting energies and to be really happy and easygoing one moment and then to feel gripped by anxiety and fear the next and to allow all of those to be there and exist in one person. This chapter really spoke to me this time as more of an internal battle but as I reflect on how it shows up in my relationships it's a really good reminder for me to really seek people and partners in my life who are curious, who want to learn, who are open to contradiction and open to inconsistencies and open to change and knowing that I'm going to grow and they're going to grow and that things aren't going to stay the same. That's really important to me because I really value freedom and I really value sovereignty and wanting to be in a relationship where I can really feel like I can be my full self and I'm not being held back 
by someone else's ideas of perfection and consistency and instead I have space to explore and to try on different opinions and different lifestyles and explore all the aspects of me that make me. At the end of the chapter she mentions something from the next chapter which is the skeleton woman and this is one of the chapters I come back to time and time again. It is so powerful. Such a powerful chapter on commitment and on facing the shadow aspects of the self. And in some ways, this duality is leading us there. Like seeing that that topside version is really easy to be around, but knowing that the kritura is just as important to honor and give space for. And that really brings us to the skeleton woman and the archetype of the death mother and all of the harder to live with aspects of the psyche. So that was just my quick synopsis and a little bit of insights from me. The questions I wanted to leave you with, and these are somewhat rhetorical, but I'll still put them down in the comments if you want to try and answer them but just good questions to maybe think about or ask yourself before you sleep or meditate and see what comes to you is the simple question of what do you want? And it could be something you're grappling with, like a decision you have to make, or it could just be a very open-ended question. What do you want? And the second question may be specifically directed at the more inner self, the inner woman, is what does your deeper self desire? So thinking about those two questions as you read this chapter and after, as you're digesting and processing it, has really helped me uh, come to some major clarities in my life about what I want, what I want my everyday to look like, what I want in my future, what I want from a mate, what I want from friends. And I think it's a really important question to genuinely ask yourself and really listen, really listen for the answer and don't let yourself jump in right away with critical thoughts of your answer being unrealistic or unattainable. Just allow what you really want to come to you when you ask that question and just be with that desire for a moment. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this synopsis and I'll see you for the next chapter, chapter five. Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.